0: Good morning, my sweetheart church. I just had a text from Pastor Jeremy Vaquero, who he and his wife are on vacation, and they are worshiping with us online on vacation. That was very fun. So whether you are online or here in person, we're so glad to welcome you to worship here this, this beautiful Sunday morning. A week ago, my wife, Cindy, and I celebrated our 34th wedding anniversary. Man, did I marry over my head. What a gift that girl has been to me. And uh, to celebrate, we pulled out an old grainy video of our wedding, and we watched the whole thing, the wedding, the reception, and it was a poignant trip down memory lane. We we saw a lot of people, 35 years on, a lot of people that were very dear to us who have now gone on to be with the Lord. And one of those persons is my dad's mom, we called her Grandma Peachy, Grandma Peachy. One of my most vivid memories of Grandma Peachy is that when we came to her house uh, in my earliest years, I still remember this, we'd walk up to her front door and we'd knock on the door, ring the bell, and the door would fly open and she would lean down right in our face and she'd say, Come in this house! Come in this house! Every time we went over to her place, I think the same thing. Come in this house! In this morning's text, as we continue in our journey through the Gospel of Luke, We find other people pounding on someone's door, and they don't get quite the same response. So let's turn together to Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. We'll begin in verse 22. Luke 13, verse 22. Jesus went on His way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to Him, Lord... Will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin standing outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open up to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. And people will come from east and west, and from north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God, and behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This is the word of the Lord. More light and fluffy teaching from Jesus, right? I want to start this morning with what might seem like a rather odd question. Here it is. How satisfied are you with the United States of America? How satisfied are you with the United States of America? A recent Gallup poll asked that question. And an astounding 81% of respondents said they are not satisfied with the United States. Are you surprised? That's what First Service said too. Not really. This country that we love is going through a hard stretch, isn't it? The two leading presidential candidates are both sitting under legal clouds. Only 7% of us have a great deal of confidence in Congress, according to another poll, 7%. We seem unable or unwilling to deal with major issues like crime and inflation and debt and national security, while we are obsessed with outwoking one another in divisive, Ideological wars, it is embarrassing. And the esteem in which our country is held in other nations reflects that embarrassment. And I think it reveals a longing in most of us for something more. We find ourselves saying, Can't we do better than this? Surely we can do better than this. We want a society where right triumphs over wrong. We want a society where evil is punished and good is rewarded. A society that is fair and led by virtuous people who put service above self. We want a society where children are safe and protected and where life is valued on both ends of the spectrum and where hopeless people can be helped. And we don't have that right now. And yet we long for it. Well, Jesus spoke of such a place. He called it the kingdom of God. That was the topic he preached on more than any other single topic, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where the reign and rule of Jesus is recognized and celebrated, where citizens live in obedience to God's Word and in alignment with His creative intent. They enjoy His protection and they flourish as we were intended to do by our Creator. And all but the most wicked of human hearts long for a place like that, long for life like that. And I think it is the longing that is expressed in the Lord's Prayer, which we just prayed earlier when we beseech God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. We, we know that things aren't right, we know that things are not as they should be, and And we ask God to speed the day when He reclaims from the devil the creation that He is trying to destroy and makes it His own completely again. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This morning's two readings are going to offer us a glimpse of the kingdom of God both on earth and in the one we just read and in heaven. And it also offers us a glimpse of those who assumed that they were in And we're astounded to discover that they were not. And it was too late for them to do anything about it. I want to remind you of the context of all of this teaching that you've been hearing in the last few weeks. Jesus is preaching His way toward Jerusalem. Preaching His way toward the cross. Honestly, his sermons are becoming more and more intense, and yet the crowds, the adoring crowds are growing greater and greater, stronger and stronger, which is pretty impressive since he is preaching the most secret, insensitive sermons he ever preaches. And the text for today starts with a question from a man, one of his listeners, when he says, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Lord, will those who are saved be few? In other words, he's asking, after we die, how many of us are going to heaven? And it was really a loaded question, because he was probably sure he knew what the answer was. He was probably sure that Jesus was going to confirm that only the Jewish people would be saved, because that's what most Jews believed. They were the chosen ones, and the rest of the world, the Gentile dogs as they were called, had no place in the kingdom of God. And really, he's just asking Jesus, who's in and who's out, as if we didn't know. Wink, wink, wink. But Jesus shifts the spotlight, as he so often does to his questioners. He shifts the spotlight back to him. He says, forget about the others. He said, if you want to be saved, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, then strive to enter through the narrow door. I want to show you a picture. See, how many of you recognize it? Raise your hands if you know what you're looking at here. It is a narrow door. <laughs> Good answer. It is also the entrance to the, the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. This is the most ancient church in all of the Middle East. It was built, parts of it go back to the, fifth, the 500s, the 6th century, if you can believe it. And one of the most remarkable things of this remarkable ancient church is that entrance, because that door that you're looking at—that is its main entrance. Most grand churches in the world have grand entrances that welcome you in, but the, church to the, the, the entrance to the church of the Nativity is is tiny. It is low and it is narrow, and it is thick. I discovered that the first time I entered the Church of the Nativity when I stood up six inches sooner than the wall ended. I nearly knocked myself out in what is called the door of humility. It really was the door of humility. One tradition says that the original large door was blocked up so it would leave only a smaller entrance so that it would force pilgrims to bow in humility before Jesus as they entered the place of His birth. Jesus says that to enter the kingdom of God, you must go through a narrow door. And let's be clear, He is talking about Himself here. Jesus is the door into the kingdom of God. He said so. Jesus is the way to God and God's kingdom. He is the only way. He said that too. That door, that access to God's kingdom is narrow because He is it. It is not a broad door. It is not a wide way. Contrary to our cultural religion, all roads do not lead to heaven, only a narrow door. And strive to enter that door, Jesus says. And then he continues. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Not, come in this house like Grandma Peachy. Rather, you can't come in here because I don't know where you come from. In other words, the master of the house is saying, I don't know what family you belong to. I don't know where you call home, but you don't belong to my family, and this is not your home. So no, you can't come in. You don't belong to me. This would have been very disturbing for his listeners because Jesus was telling them that many who presume upon their relationship with God, who assume that they have an inside track, are going to be surprised to discover that they are locked out. They thought they had a backstage pass. They're going to be surprised to discover they're still standing out in the alley. Could any person ever receive worse news than this? Ever? Friday morning, I sat at the bedside of a man who was moments away from breathing his last. I know him, I know his heart, I know his Lord, and when he breathed his last, I know where he was. But to breathe your last on this earth and find yourself standing before Jesus, assuming you will be welcome into heaven, and here instead, sorry, I don't know where you come from, but you don't belong to me. I've done hundreds of funerals, hundreds of them when people stand up here to share about their departed loved ones sometimes i find myself cringing i have never heard anyone stand up uh, because and part of it's because they always assume that they're up there smiling down on us that's always the line they're up there smiling down on us i've never heard someone say you know i love joe a lot but he was actually a pretty awful guy and i'm pretty sure he's burning in hell right now i've never heard that never heard that shared at a funeral before Our American cultural religion assumes that everybody goes to heaven, and by the way, they become an angel when they do. That's, that's our American cultural... We're, we're, that is not what Jesus said. That is not what His words would suggest. This ought to matter to us. This ought to matter to us. And so if it does, if, if we want to be a part of God's kingdom, then we ought to hear what the Master says. We want to hear Him say, come in this house. If we want that, then what do we do? Well... Here's what we don't do, according to Jesus: don't be a dabbler. Say it with me: don't. And you're all saying, "Where is he going with this?" <laughs> if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, don't just dabble at Christianity. I think that's what he's saying here. What do I mean by that? The other day, we took our granddaughter Cece down to the fountain, the dancing fountains down in Jersey Park. And she was in her swimsuit and she was wearing her Peppa Pig baseball cap and her sunglasses were firmly perched on her tiny little button of a nose. And it was a hot day and we assumed that CeCe was going to dash right into that fountain. Not quite. She hung back and she whined when I picked her up and walked toward the dancing waters. She pulled back when I tried to put her hand out in one of the streams. And we knew that forcing her would be a big mistake, so we retreated, and we let her dabble. She edged her way up to one of the spray heads, and when it burst forth, she shrieked and ran away. She edged her way back, and she put her foot on it, and when it, sh- it burst, she shrieked and ran away. We she edged her way over to the, the mist, and the mist fell on her, and she shrieked and she ran away again. That's dabbling that's dabbling, It's holding back, It's playing around the edges, unwilling to take the plunge, unwilling to dive in. And this is precisely what Jesus is warning against in this parable. The master of the house has shut the door. Time is up. And those who hadn't yet entered the house find themselves standing outside, pounding on the door, demanding to be let in. And they hear those haunting words, I do not know where you come from. Now they assume he must be mistaken that they don't recognize, he doesn't recognize their voices, and so they make their case from the other side of the door. Lord, we ate and drank with you. We hung out with you. We listened to your sermons. We are part of your posse. You've got to let us in. But the master of the house simply repeats the same words. I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. And I think he's saying, you are dabblers. You just played at religion. Hanging around on the edge. Dipping your toe in the water sharing a meal with me, listening to a sermon or two, but you were never in my family. You never threw yourself in. I never had your whole heart. You were a religious dabbler. Wherever you're coming from, wherever you belong, you don't belong to me. Wow, what a shock that would be. So dabbling, bad, right? If dabbling is bad, what is the opposite? Jesus hints at it. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive to enter. Don't just walk through. Strive to enter through. That word strive is the Greek word agonizesta. Agonizesta. What word do we get from that? Agonize. Agonize. Agonizesta. And it's a word that was a part of athletics, or even combat. It is a word that means to fight bravely, even unto the death. In other words, Jesus is saying, coming to me, trusting yourself to me, knowing me and being known by me, it is a do or die matter. No half measures will do. Not playing around at the edges. No dabbling, he says, strive to enter the narrow door. The opposite of dabbler is disciple. The person who doesn't play at the edges of Christianity, who doesn't just go to a service once in a while, who doesn't just listen to a sermon once in a while, who doesn't just throw a few bucks into the plate once in a while, but rather who gives themselves wholly and passionately to the Lord and to his mission, who is engaged and committed. That's a disciple. Now, let me offer the same warning you'll hear week by week, no matter which pastor is up here. We're not talking here about earning God's love. We're not talking about you working in order to be saved. We don't believe that. What Jesus is saying is, I'm ready to save you the minute that you repent and believe. I have done all that is necessary for you. But he said, that's not the end of the story. We often think that when someone raises their hand and says, I'll receive Jesus as my Savior, that's the end of the story. That's just the beginning of the story, Jesus says. Because from that moment forward, after you repent and choose to follow me, it is work. There's some hard work at play here. Relational work, recreational work. You are striving and straining to make every effort to know me and learn my voice and follow my ways. I don't want dabblers. I want Disciples. Now, you might be sitting there saying, dang, I'm feeling dabbly right now. Because I, I still have so far to go to be a faithful disciple of Jesus. When I hear this, it just kind of closes in on me a little bit. So I want you also to hear Jesus' encouragement from this same passage. It's, here's the encouragement. He says, don't despair. He said, don't dabble. But he also says, don't despair. In fact, he led with that. I take this idea from the parable that precedes the narrow door parable that we just read. So I want to take a quick look at that. Luke 13, starting verse 18. This is immediately before the passage on the narrow door that we just read. Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in it, in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Don't be a dabbler, Jesus said. Don't just play at following me. Don't hang around the edges. If you. If you're going to be my disciple, you need to be all in. But he also says, here's the grace, every faith journey starts with small steps. Like a tiny mustard seed that grows into a huge bush that becomes a home for all these birds. Like a tiny bit of yeast that leavens enough bread to feed a hundred people. That's what three measures would do. The kingdom of God, he seems to be saying, your relationship with me starts with the tiniest step. So don't despair if you are not yet what you want to be. You entrust that mustard seed of faith to me, and by my spirit I will grow it into something that is spectacular. The prophet Zechariah once wrote these words, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Isn't that a great text? Say it with me, would you? Go back to that, please. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. I love that verse. Do not despise the small beginnings of your own journey of discipleship. Don't despair if you are not yet what God wants you to be. Don't despair if the evidence of God's kingdom in your life is still modest. Don't despair because your words of witness The ones that you have planted seem unproductive so far. Don't despair because your husband continues to rebuff your Christian witness or your children have rebelled against your Christian example. Don't despair because our culture seems to have turned on the church and our message is no longer welcome. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. There have been times in my 35 years of ministry here that I have been so discouraged when people that I loved and had led to the Lord and discipled walked away and I'll tell you I felt abandoned and rejected and even betrayed at times but I have lived long enough to realize that the last chapter of those lives have not yet been written and those tiny seeds that tiny lump of leaven is still doing its kingdom work in them and in me too The Holy Spirit is still doing His work, and what might start modestly, unimpressively, haltingly, God is going to bring to spectacular fruition. The Bible promises that God's Word does not return void. When we speak of our faith in Jesus, when we seek to live out our faith in Jesus. When we seek for our home to be an outpost, outpost of God's kingdom in this increasingly evil society, God loves to take those small beginnings and bring something amazingly great out of it. So if you don't yet see the spiritual fruit that you long to see, don't despair. God's kingdom can grow up out of the most inconsequential beginnings. Don't you dare despair. I want to close by returning to the image of the narrow door. The obviously frightening, the terrifying part of this story is this image of people who are pounding at the door, begging to be let in, but it's too late. They dawdled. The door is shut, and it's too late. They waited too long. But could I remind you, there is another door knocker in the Bible. Do you remember who that other door knocker is? Who is it? Revelation 3.20, it presents Jesus as the one who is standing at our door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The reason that you knock on heaven's door and can't get in is because when Jesus was knocking on your door, all your life you said, I don't want you to come in. I don't know where you come from. This is Holman Hunt's famous painting of that account. Jesus knocking at the door of your heart. Our whole lives, Jesus is knocking at the door of our hearts. And if you'll notice there, you can't see it very well, but there is no doorknob on that door, famously. Why? Because we are the ones who are on the inside in this story. We decide whether or not we will open the door of our lives and receive Him. And if we do, we will begin the most exciting journey that will one day end with us standing before the door of the Lord's house, knocking on it and hearing those most wonderful words, come in this house. Come in this house. Lord Jesus, we long for your kingdom to come. And when that day comes that we breathe our last, we long to go to your kingdom and be welcomed in We are a little terrified, but also grateful for the warning that comes in this passage that we ought not to be dabblers, just playing at religion, playing around the edges, but holding back the best of ourselves, holding back the best of our time, holding back the best of our relationships, holding back the best of our money. We'll give you little bits and pieces, dribs and drabs, just enough to dabble. Jesus, would you convict our hearts to plunge whole Heartedly into a discipleship relationship with you? Would you convince us of the value of trusting you and that life with you, following you, is better by far than anything that we could do on our own? Lord, I pray for those here this day who have never opened the door of their hearts to you. Even now, if that is you, if you are listening to this in this passage terrifies you. It ought to. But you in this moment could say, Jesus, I welcome you in. Come into my heart. Just pray that prayer even now. I Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. I welcome you into my life. Be the Lord, be the master of this house. But there are probably more of us here who we've said yes to Jesus, and yet we would have to admit that we are dabbling playing around the edges of it but we have not thrown ourselves wholly into a life of discipleship so Jesus, hear the cries of our hearts too, forgive me Lord forgive me for dabbling, forgive me for playing near the edges I want you to know me I want you to know where I come from I want you to know that I am a part of your house a part of your family and I want to hear those words ultimately come in this house And so for every person here who perhaps presumes upon their faith, would you change their mind, change their heart by the power of your Spirit this day? For we ask it through Christ our Lord.
1: There will be a day when all Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.
0: morning was one of those bittersweet privileges as a pastor as I sat at the bedside of a man who moments later took his last labored breath. The fact is, every one of us will be in that bed with someone next to us someday. Maybe I'll be by your bed, maybe you'll be by mine. Those of you who are young, you don't really believe it because you think you're immortal, but you will be too. In fact, A year from now, there will be someone who is worshiping here who will not be with us. It happens every year. And when you breathe your last breath and you open your eyes and you look upon the face of Jesus, there are two things that you might hear. One is, I don't know where you're coming from. And the other might be, come in this house. You want to hear come in this house and the only way there is through the narrow door of discipleship to Jesus Christ so let this hard word from Jesus work in your heart bring to mind your own relationship with him and cause you to ask the eternal questions that you must answer eternal significance to those questions there would be some who perhaps responded to the invitation to receive Jesus for the first time or have something they want to pray for, on either side is a prayer banner. I invite you to come after service and let them pray with you, encourage you in your own journey, even in the tiniest of small steps as you begin. If you are new to us, Pastor Julie would love to meet you. She's so excited. And uh, so make your way back there and say hi to her. But we will close our service as we do every time because we know this is not a matter of gritting our teeth and trying harder. This is all about getting more and more and more of that Holy Spirit who is the one that takes the tiny seed and grows it into something spectacular. You want to be grown into something spectacular. So raise your hands up and let's receive that blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His perfect peace both now and forevermore in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.